1: Today, we're speaking with Julie Bank. Julie is the current president and CEO of the Pasadena Humane Society and SPCA. Her animal welfare career spans almost 30 years working in leadership roles in local and national nonprofits and governmental animal control in New York, Arizona, Oklahoma City, and California. She's a nationally recognized speaker and writer on animal issues and has traveled the country and abroad educating and supporting organizations and communities with their animal welfare efforts. She has a BS degree in management and finance and a master's in museum leadership. Aside from animals, Julie also has a passion for helping children in the dependency system, working as a volunteer court-appointed special advocate and a past foster parent. Julie shares her home with her partner, Tom, eight-year-old son, Stefan, Bobby, and Maylee, her two rescued dogs, Carmen, the 18-year-old cat that is queen of her home, and two hamsters, Titsy and Fitsy. Julie, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you for having me. Wow, so you have quite a group at your house.
0: Sort of I, I certainly do, both two-legged and four-legged types, <laughs> but they're, they're all part of the family and they all play an important role and have a special place in the family and make us laugh every
1: day. So Well, that's great. Well, you've had a long career and it seems like you've been all over the country at different places, but you also had an interest in museum leadership. So I'm wondering, how did you find animal welfare? I was a kid who grew up
0: loving animals, like half of the universe out there. And always thought that I was going to be a veterinarian or work in a zoo. And nobody told me that there was anything else that you can do. When I realized that I wasn't going to be a veterinarian because I wasn't going to get the grades to go to medical school. I kind of got deflated and had no idea what I wanted to do and had no idea that you could do anything else. So I went to college, and I was a senior in college, and one day I walk outside of the store that I was working on, and there was a mobile pet adoption unit staring me in the face. So like everybody else, I went into the unit and started scratching the dogs and the kitties. And the driver just kind of was very nonchalant about and seemed almost annoyed. And I said to him, well, what's the matter? And he said, you know, we have so many animals and we need people to do things to make a difference. And I said, well, I'm a college kid. I can't adopt. I still live at home with my mom. And he said, well, here, consider becoming a volunteer. And the truth is, I never grew up in a home knowing what volunteering was about, and I think I went to the volunteer orientation just to kind of show the driver of the vehicle that I could and that I would, and when I got there, a light bulb went off in my head. I said, wow, there is this world of nonprofit out there. There is this world of animal welfare out there that I had no clue about, and I knew right then and there that I wanted to learned everything that I could about the animal welfare movement and do everything that I could in my power to make a difference in the lives of animals and people and their relationship. And that's that's pretty much how it all began. It all began when this, this kind of older, crabby guy shoved a volunteer application in my hand. And I really believe very strongly that that moment was meant to be. And it also reminds me all the time of the power of one interaction. I mean, this guy putting a volunteer application in my hand basically shaped my life in a way that I could never have imagined or dreamed. So every day when I have interactions with people, I always have that in the back of my head, knowing that you know I could be shaping people's experiences with animals. I could be shaping people's future in their own personal life. I actually have the driver's, picture in my desk that I look at on a regular basis just to remind me that we all have a responsibility to be mentors and to educate uh, a lot and it's really kind of shaped who I was and started shaping my career.
1: That's great. Yeah, I mean I, we all have these I think these touches, you know, yeah. these touches that come to us and and some of the touches stick and and some don't and then the ones that do though are forever etched in our minds and and our memory and Really do set the path. I was I was in uh, urban studies, and I wanted to be an architect. And I went from that to helping hundreds of thousands right. of cats over twenty years. And um, you know, it's just because of meeting people who are so incredibly passionate, and they give you this energy. And hopefully, I give them energy to be able to do the great work that they're doing too. It sounds like that you feel like you have okay. that obligation too. It's a give and take from both sides. Absolutely, but you have
0: to also recognize that a negative interaction can have the same type of experience. So if you give off a bad interaction to an adopter or to a neighbor or to anybody involving animals, that can turn them off the same way it can turn them on to getting involved and learning about animal stuff. So we have to always watch how we behave and what we do and what we say and how and learn that there's different ways that people see things and learn things and try to kind of fit in with wherever it is appropriate there. You had asked earlier about the museum education, and the truth is I didn't um, go into that program for a master's program because I wanted to work in a museum. I actually saw an animal shelter as a living museum, and I knew that the museum world had done such a great job of educating in an alternative setting And I wanted to learn everything that I could to bring that back to the animal sheltering world so that we can educate different audiences, multi-generational audiences in an alternative way. So, you know, we often think of education as just classroom learning or even rote learning, but everyday experiences, as you were just saying, helps shape people and helps people learn. And I wanted to learn what the museum world knew and bring it back to the animal sheltering world, which is what I did. That's why I went into that program and it was an awesome experience because not only was it about alternative educational settings but it was also about nonprofit management. So it kind of helped me grow in my career of understanding how to run a nonprofit appropriately. So it was really it was really another moment that shaped my life and I could probably pinpoint to 10 different moments throughout my career that has actually shaped the way I was thinking and shaped who I am today. So it's very important to kind of know yourself and it's very important to use those moments to ultimately change the world, which is what we're all about trying to do, change the world and making it better for animals and people.
1: The tools that you learned um, in this museum program, is did you bring that to Pasadena Humane Society and SPCA? I have brought it with me throughout my entire
0: career at that point, I was still living and
1: working in New York City, um,
0: and I certainly brought that. I was uh, the head of education for the national ASPCA, so I was able to bring some of those skills and some of those techniques to organizations across the country and was very excited to start seeing some of the more traditional animal shelters change the way they educated the community, and I think maybe just a little bit of it had to do with some of the things that I learned in the program. Here at the Pasadena Humane Society, we are very fortunate to have a beautiful facility that fosters people to want to come here. We are very much a destination site in the community and a place that the Pasadena community specifically really treasures, and as a result, people come here. So it's been our job from an outreach and an educational perspective to make their experience when they come here meaningful. Whether they adopt a pet or they don't adopt a pet, we want to ensure that they leave here with not only a great feeling about animal shelters so that when they are ready to adopt a pet, they know where to go, and that they adopt instead of shop, and that they also leave with a little bit of a nugget of information that can help them be a more responsible pet owner and add that to the services that we provide, because we provide a ton of services to help people be responsible pet owners. I think that 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 kind of feel and experience has definitely lasted when people come to the Pasadena Humane Society.
1: I've gone through the process of doing you know a capital campaign and buying a facility and One thing that was really in my mind at the the whole time is when someone comes into an adoption center, how do they walk out knowing more than just the adoption center part of it? I mean, how do you create sort of an experience, an educational experience while folks are in there appreciating the available animals that are for adoption? But how can you convey information to folks so that when they walk out the door, they understand there's so much more to creating a humane community than just what's in that building. Well, it's definitely a multi-pronged
0: approach, and often we tend to do one thing and one thing well, but we don't really look at it from a full multi-picture perspective. And it takes everything from the education of the staff that's working with people and making sure it's consistent and that your messaging is right, to the signage that you put on your wall, to the handouts that people get when they leave, to the uniforms that they're wearing, to the facility itself and what it looks like. Everything has an impact and, you know, it's really important to take the time to sit down and really say, what is our message? What are we trying to convey? And we often get so caught up in the million different issues that we have to face and see every day that because of that, we don't really focus. So I would certainly recommend focusing on the different issues, looking at what's most important in that particular space and making that space very relevant. But even something as far back as, you know, how clean is your facility? If you're trying to say be a responsible pet owner but you don't have a clean facility, then none of the messages that you're trying to portray to people are going to last because all they're going to see is the facility, is maybe overcrowding, is the smell in a facility, is the, the staff cleaning appropriately, is the staff proactive and nice to me. All that kind of stuff goes into your plan of trying to get the messages out there. So it really requires a lot of thought and requires a lot of processing and sometimes institutional change. That's one of the things that I have found in the organizations that I've worked at is that there's been a lot of stagnant. We've always done it this way. Mm -hmm. And I don't live in the stagnant world. I live in the what's on the other side of the rainbow world (laughs) and then try to kind of work there to get there. And people need to not be afraid of the word change For me, the word change is an exciting word because it means possibilities, but I do know that a lot of people hear the word change and it becomes very scary and frightening. It's fine the way it is. Why do we need to do it differently? Well, you need to do it differently because times have changed. The customers have changed. Our young people have demanded that we do things differently in our community, and those are the people that we need to reach so that 20 years from now, we're still doing a great job. So I say the word of the new millennium is change, and it's a good one.
2: If you like the Community Cats podcast and would like to help promote community cats in your state, then we need you. We're looking for a couple of people from each state to be community cats ambassadors. What do you get by being an ambassador? You'll be mailed a promo kit of items to use to help promote the show at any event that you attend in your state. If you don't attend many events, hey, that's okay, too. Do you have a network of people that love community cats? You can help with emailing groups in your state to let them know about the CCP and offer them the benefit of community cat swag. The more we can spread the word about the show, the more we can do to help cats across the country. Please email stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at communitycatspodcast.com if you'd like to represent your state. Thank you. (coughs) The Community Cats Podcast will soon be a year old with over 200 episodes profiling amazing people who are all making a difference in the lives of Community Cats. If you would like to support the show but not be a sponsor, feel free to contribute to our efforts by going to www.communitycatspodcast.com and follow the donate link. Help us to continue to provide excellent programming.
1: Could you share with me in detail what programs the Pasadena Humane Society has for community cats? Absolutely.
0: So the Pasadena Humane Society is a full-service animal shelter. We also do animal Control services for eleven different cities in Southern California so we have a pretty broad reach of um, services and opportunities for people alongside of adoptions and animal control work we also have a full wellness clinic a full behavior center and lots of other proactive programs so a couple of the things that we do we have what we call the Neely Center Cat Center, which is a whole area dedicated to nothing but cats, and that's obviously our incoming cats and the cats that are up for adoption, but we also have a whole area that works with our feral or semi-feral or community cats, depending, I know different people call it different area, and for us, those are those cats that just are not ready for general population and ready for adoption, and we have two staff members whose job it is is to do nothing but cat behavior issues. And they work with every one of those cats to try to get them to the point where they're comfortable to be able to be placed up for adoption. And those kitties that are not at that point or won't anytime soon become at that point, we do have a program called the Employer Cat Program. And the Employer Cat Program is basically working with communities, businesses, barns, individuals' homes to try to place these cats so that they can live out their lives in a positive way, but also have a little bit of a job. Maybe their job is to keep the rats away. Maybe their job is to watch over the property on a very different perspective. And we work with the adopter to ensure that they understand the needs of those animals. Also, as part of our wellness clinic, which is called SNP, we have a full spay-neuter program where the customers can come, they can rent a trap from us, they can trap a cat, bring it in, we will spay-neuter the animal, ear-tip the animal, and teach them about managing a colony or even just that one cat. And that program is 100% free to the community member. We also do a lot of education, not only over the phone, on our website, but right at our front counter. So when someone comes in or calls and says, you know, I have a cat problem, our work is to jump right into action to educate them about TNR, educate them about community cat issues, and try to encourage them to become a full-fledged community member overseeing community cats in their area and then to utilize our services and to work with that. Our animal control officers are equipped with all the information that they need as well to educate community members if they get flagged down in in the street or if they get that. So it it is a main part of our work that we do here. We are still seeing a huge amount of cats coming into the animal shelter, and we are extremely committed to having that number go down and trying to not only save lives, but also make sure that we can find amazing homes for these incredible animals. So we kind of look at it from a full service from both the front, starting at the front counter on the field, all the way to our wellness clinic. Our behavior helpline is available. It's a free behavior helpline that we have for individuals to call about their problem animal issues, but also to call about their, Cats' behaviors. So, if they have a problem with cats, not only in the community, but their own personal cat, it's a free helpline that can help people. And then a couple of times a year, we offer workshops for the community on feral cats, community cats, and TNR and what we can do to support them.
1: So, you had mentioned the numbers of cats. Are you seeing a trend line going down in Pasadena, or are you, is are you at a point where you're more like a maintenance level? I don't know the history of whether you've, you were at higher levels and then saw yeah. a decline and, and sort of leveled off. So we have certainly
0: seen it go down and then up again. Up again, though, we believe has come because we built our Neely Cat Center. And some of the trends that you see that we've heard from organizations across the country is when you build a brand-new, beautiful place to house cats, the community sometimes sees that then as a place that they can bring cats to. So we have seen a bit of an uptick in owner surrenders, but we are now starting to see a downtick in the numbers across the board. I just had a conversation yesterday with our senior VP of operations, and we don't have any cats in our cat room right now. which is amazing because usually at this time of the year, we are starting to get flooded with babies and kittens. And while our veterinarian has certainly seen a few pregnant kitties coming in the door, we are not yet seeing the masses that we have seen in the past. We also had a very funky winter here, so we had a lot of rain. It was particularly cold which is not usual for Southern California. So we believe that our flood of kitties coming in the door has been slowed because of that. But certainly this year, our trend is a lot less than we've ever seen at this same time in years past. We've had so much space that we've spent time going to different organizations throughout Southern California and even outside of the state helping other shelters with their cat issues. So if they have too many cats in their center and we don't have enough we're importing cats into our center so that we can actually help the other organizations find homes for animals so it's been really nice partnership as well
1: yeah we have some organizations an organization here in massachusetts where their cat areas are the community cat rooms are empty yeah. and so they've been moving their uh, chickens in so chickens are inundated in. with with farm animals they adopt out farm animals too their farm animals are moving into the companion animal area to be able to further promote them as as being available for adoption. So that's kind of an interesting change of what's happening Uh in Massachusetts.
0: Well, for Um, us, we we know that our partner shelters are still overwhelmed with more kitties than they can handle. So it, it just makes sense for us to then go there and help out and look at it as a community and as a regional issue rather than just a our issue. So that's where we've been importing as many as we can so that, and they're flying off the shelf. I mean, it's pretty amazing to me how sometimes just a change of scenery, they could be at one facility for a long time and then you just bring them to another facility and they'll get adopted in a day. (laughs) Just something about the shift of energy and the change of scenery makes a big difference in the lives of those animals. So now we know that the summer's coming and with the summer, The switch goes on and then we get the cats more than we really want. But luckily, it hasn't switched yet and we'll be prepared when it does.
1: So, Julie, I was thinking, you know, with all of your uh, experience, what advice would you give a CEO of an organization, large or small, as to what would be their sort of your best advice for somebody who is in a leadership role for an organization?
0: I think the number one thing that you have to do is look at your operations, small or big, as a business. You have to really look at it all from how can you grow this business and also look at it from a strategic perspective. Sometimes we get so caught up in our day-to-day stuff, that one cat, that that one issue that we're dealing with, that we often neglect the bigger Infrastructure and the bigger processes that we need to do. I mean, the ultimate goal is to grow and to get to the point where you are meeting the needs as set forth in your community. The only way I believe that you can really do that is to look at it as a business. You have to make sure you have your finances in order. You have to make sure that you have a training plan for your staff. You have to make sure that all of your HR issues are appropriate because otherwise you're going to be wasting time running around constantly dealing with struggles that you don't really need. Your fundraising is your fundraising solid, and are you using all the techniques that you need to do to do the best job that you can? Once you look at all that kind of stuff, then you can start meeting the needs on a level. So if your CEO is also the one cleaning the kennel, then you're neglecting some of the business stuff that you need to really focus on and then of course having a plan and having it be strategic is really important. I think a good leader has a vision. And a good leader communicates that vision. And when you communicate that vision to your team, the hope is that your team is going to follow with you on your vision. And you need and that includes your board, includes your staff members, includes your volunteers and ultimately includes your public. So that's important as well as you continue in the path of whatever it is that your
1: goal is. And make sure it's a, an attainable goal. If you're a group of three people, you know, you're not going to do a TNR for all of New York City. You need to make sure that, that the vision is somewhat realistic. I mean, there should be a reach to it, but it needs to be realistic too.
0: Well, that's exactly that's exactly true. I mean, you obviously want to see what it looks like and you want it to be in 10 years, but right now is important. You know, the other thing that I think that people need to think about is celebrating those small things. If your goal is to end overpopulation in your community, that's a really broad goal. Um, but if you can look at your little, small, little things that happen every day and then all of a sudden recognize how successful you've been, it helps a lot in you continuing because if you don't celebrate those small goals, you're going to get overwhelmed and burnt out because you're never going to be able to achieve that bigger goal. So sometimes just kind of really stepping back and using your data that you have, paying attention to the data, not just focusing on anecdotal stuff, not just focusing on fear or the stuff that kind of gets us the most angst out there and really focusing on those small little amazing things. And then ultimately, three years later, you can look at it and go, wow, look at all that we've done. We might not have reached the end goal, which was the bigger, possibly unattainable goal, but we've done so much to get there, and we should celebrate that.
1: Julie, if folks are interested in finding out more about the Pasadena Humane Society, how would they do that?
0: We would love anybody to learn more about us, and they can go to our website at PasadenaHumane.org, and you can find out how to get me directly if you have any questions of me or any of our amazing staff members who can give you more information. We have over 900 volunteers here who are smiley and happy and are happy to be here and making a real difference in the community. So we encourage people to get involved as a volunteer as well if you live in our area. Obviously, we always accept donations, and you can do all of that online. I had to put that shameless plug in there. Sorry.
1: Oh, <laughs> sounds good. Everybody's got to do it. I know. Um, is, there, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today?
0: Kitties deserve so much in animal shelters, and often they have been neglected, and it's the time of the cat. I mean, like the way I say is once you go cat, you never go back. Um, It's really the time for us to be focusing everything that we can on not only elevating the status of cats in our community, but also making sure that their experiences at animal shelters are amazing and that they ultimately find new homes and that is really what it's all about and i think the time now is when we all have to really rally around the cat and and um make a make a huge difference there it's it's slowly happening but i'd love us all to work together to continue to make it shine for kitties
1: Julie, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show, and I hope we will have you on in the future.
2: Yeah, I would love that anytime. Thank you. Thank you for listening to a Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more Community Cats.